At this time, I'd like to invite any children in the congregation to meet Miss Curtis and Miss Basso in the back of the sanctuary for a story reading. Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my Redeemer. When I came in today, everyone kept coming up to me and telling me, you're going to do great, don't be nervous, you know, just have fun with it. And I was like, I'm not nervous, I feel great. That lasted till about 10 minutes ago. Then I came to the realization that everything here is being recorded and that this will ever be embedded in the internet and uh, now the pressure's on. <laughs> I remember first hearing this story of the tax collector in the Temple of Light upstairs. Catherine Curtis was reading it. We were all sitting in a circle. She was reading from a children's story Bible book, something like that. The gist of the story is that there's this greedy tax collector named Zacchaeus. And generally, people don't love it when you take their money. And that was kind of his job, so wasn't the most popular guy around. And one day, Jesus comes to town to visit. And Zacchaeus can't see Jesus because he's really short, and there's a ton of people around Jesus that want to see him, right? With the big crowds, it's really hard to get a good look at him. And Zacchaeus knows that Jesus is this really popular guy. Everyone loves him. So he really wants to see Jesus. So what he does is he climbs up into this tree so he can get a better look at Jesus. And when he's sitting up in the tree, Jesus sees him and he points at him and he says, Zacchaeus, come down from there. I want to have dinner with you. Now everyone else around Jesus is whining because they're all saying it's such an honor and it's such a privilege to get to dine with Jesus, and it is. But they don't think that Zacchaeus is the right person to have that honor or have that privilege. But regardless of what they think, Zacchaeus and Jesus go, and they have dinner, and Zacchaeus feels enlightened. After dinner, and after having a chance to speak one-on-one -on -one with Jesus, he says that he's going to give half of his possessions away to the poor, and he's going to pay everyone he owed money back four times the amount. Now, I always thought it was a bit of a funny story, how could someone change over such a short time as dinner? How could Jesus have had such an impact on the tax collector? I was thinking about how I could relate to this, and I came across a story that just fits perfectly. Now, this is a story I've never told my parents, so I thought worship would be the best time. So if you know me, you'll know I've always been really into music. I played piano and drums for a large majority of my life, and church was a great place for me to perform. Piano was the perfect instrument for the venue. Drums didn't work quite as well, so I kept seeking out other ways I'd get a chance to play, and I came across School of Rock. Now, not the movie with Jack Black. It is a great movie, though. But the place downtown Glen Ellen in that strip of stores, 
I started there around 10 years old. I'd go in once a week for lessons, and once a week a few hours to practice with some of the other students. We'd work on some different songs, put some stuff together, you know, Pink Floyd, The Beatles, fun stuff like that. And we'd go get a chance to perform every few months, various venues. It was a lot of fun for me, not everyone else. I was really annoying. People didn't like me that much, and that's a really important detail in this story. Also at this point in my life, I was really into chemistry. It's what I thought I wanted to do as a career. And that is also a really important detail of the story. Before these hours of practicing, when my mom would drop me off in front of the school, I'd always ask for a few dollars so I could buy some dinner. She'd give me like five bucks. Now, being 10 years old, there is absolutely no chance I would waste a crisp $5 bill on something as useless as dinner. I'd always go to the sweet shop and I'd buy myself a box of Mike and Ikes and a soda. Now, if you don't know what Mike and Ikes are, this is a box of Mike and Ikes. Very important that you know what these are for the rest of the story. Little chewy candy. I, I used to love these things. Had them too much, now I'm sick of them. Anyways. One day, I'm sitting in the main hangout area of School of Rock, and some people are on their phones texting. There's some other people in the back working on their songs, practicing their music, and I see an adult walk into the manager's office, throw a can of soup in the microwave. Now, my 10-year-old chemist brain had the most ingenious idea. I was determined to melt my Mike and Ikes in the microwave. Now, in my head, I envisioned myself making some fantastic sugary cocktail out of the candy, which obviously, as you could have guessed, not what happened. I needed some sort of container for this experiment, so I took a paper cup from the water dispenser and dumped maybe 20 Mike and Ikes into it. Now, something that genius chemist Ethan Batke didn't remember was that paper doesn't do the best in the microwave. Anyways, I shoved the paper cup filled with candy into the microwave, set it for maybe a minute or two, and when I came back, the little window had completely fogged up, so I couldn't see anything that was in there. Pop it open, take out the cup, smoke just comes rushing out into my face. I'm sitting here looking at this charred cup with just this melted, gooey, icky substance in it. It was horrible, completely failed. Now, obviously the story doesn't end there, not be story worthy if I just failed to make something in the microwave. Because what actually happened is I took it out and I started walking away. I was gonna go throw it out, completely ignoring all of the smoke just brushing past my face and the fire alarm goes off. So I stand there for a second, I'm in shock, I don't know what to do. I look around, everyone's staring at me. Um, staring at me, holding a smoking cup, paper cup from the water dispenser, standing outside the manager's office. So picture that. I run over to the trash can and throw it away, just in time for everyone from the back to come rushing past me outside. We have to stand outside in the cold, while the fire department comes and searches through the whole building. So I wasted a full hour of everyone's time standing outside. But that's not all, because since School of Rock is connected to tens of other shops in that strip, 
The smart people who installed the fire alarm said, wow, gee, if there was a fire, it could hurt a lot of people. Let's hook it all up to the same system. It's definitely smart on their part, but what ended up happening is all of the fire alarms went off. So if you've been in that strip, just to name a few, Starbucks, Dunkin' Donuts, the Glenart Theater, Tippy Tie, The Stand, Javi's, and about four or five other shops all had to evacuate. So if you think about the maybe 30 people that were in School of Rock, everyone else, all the employees from all the shops, all the people hanging out all the shops, all the people on a date having a nice dinner in Tippy Tie had to evacuate so the fire department could come search through School of Rock for a fire that never happened. And that's when the voices started. We're standing outside and people who knew it was me were whispering, talking to each other, spreading the news of my failure. Everywhere I looked, I was getting glares from the instructors. I was getting glares from the students. When everything finally calmed down, we got to go back inside and the manager gave a pep talk about microwave safety, which only I needed to hear. <laughs> a door with a lock was soon after added to the manager's office. Again, only for me. But back to the pep talk. When it was over, it was around time people's parents were coming to pick them up. Everyone was walking past me, bumping into me, cursing at me, all except for one. Once everyone had gotten their fair share of hate or disgust toward me, one of the piano instructors came up to me. She came up to me, and I thought I was going to get a talking to. I thought I was going to get a ban from the place, some sort of punishment, but no. She came close to me, and she told me that it was okay. She said that I had made a mistake, but that that was okay. She told me that she would be excited to see me next week, which I can't say about the other students that were there. When everyone else saw a bad person, she saw a good person who made a bad mistake. Now, I didn't quite go and give half my possessions to the poor or pay people I owed money four times the amount. But if it weren't for her, I don't think I ever would have gone back. In the midst of so many people full of hate, one person made all the difference to me. I imagine the tax collector in the story felt similarly. Everyone brushed past him, cursing at him with hate or disgust. But when everyone else saw a bad person, Jesus saw a good person who made a bad mistake. This story perfectly exemplifies God's message to us. God tells us that in the midst of so many people full of hate, he is still there, loving us. In the lowest moments of our lives, when everyone sees a bad person, God sees a good person who made a bad mistake. I'd like to call all of us just for a moment to reflect on our own lives. When has God called that one person to be there for you? And I don't want you to just sit there and listen to me like, we're going to take a moment of silence, and I want you to really think about that one person who was there for you when you needed them most.
Now, if you could think of a time that that one person made a difference to you, think about how that made you feel when they were there for you. Think about the impact that they had on your life. Pass that feeling along. Be that one person for someone else. Now, maybe you couldn't think of someone. Maybe there was a time in your life, even right now, where you're going through something with no one to turn to. But that's okay. Because God can be that one person. That one person that we can turn to for guidance. That one person we can lean on for support. In the absence of others, God swoops in with open arms and an open heart. Whether it be a family member who has health concerns and no one else to turn to, whether it be a coworker who is stressed with no one to help them, or whether it be a friend who's being mocked or laughed at and needs someone to tell them that they are loved. Swoop into that person's life. Inject yourself into their soul so that you may comfort them and help them to heal. God has called upon each of us to do these things. Amen.